How many of you guys ready to ring in the new year praising Jesus? Come on, if you're ready to do that, can you make your way up to the front this morning? Come on, we're going to rock out this year praising the name that is above every name. Come on, put your hands together. Come on, put your hands together. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, 
exalt you. I lift you up, Lord. I lift you high above all things because you're worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Say, oh, God be exalted. God be exalted in everything. We live for your glory. his glory right now come on just say God I belong to you come on all that I am God I belong to you my life belongs to you Jesus I want to live for your glory I want to live for your name Father God to be raised up Jesus let your glory shine forever let your name be lifted higher come on those are the words we're singing this morning church come on let that be the cry of your heart God want your name to be lifted high in my life. Jesus, 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 let your name be higher. Jesus, Jesus, let your name be lifted higher. Oh, Jesus, say Jesus, let your name be lifted higher. Oh, say Jesus, say Jesus, let your name church to see him if your desire is to see him this morning i want you to push forward into this uh this sanctuary come on push forward into these altars right now come on maybe you've been a timid of his name this year but this morning i want you to push forward in this church say god i want to see you i want to see you i want to see you jesus i want to see you god we want to see you in this place, Lord God. We want to see you lifted high. Come on, let's set our eyes on him. I want to see Jesus in this place. We want to know you. We want to feel you, God. Come on, just reach out. Stretch out your heart to him. Come on, just say, God, I want to see you this morning. I want to see you shining in glory. God, I want to feel you in my heart. Come on, he's waiting on you this morning, church. Come on, 
just want to see you, Jesus. Come on, we welcome you, Holy Ghost. We want to welcome you, God. You're welcome into this place, Jesus. Take control, take control, God. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. we want this morning. Come on, tell them I've tasted and seen. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. When my heart becomes free and my shame is Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, 
we're doing is focusing our attention on who's really who's really deserving of our attention this morning is Jesus. Come on, just welcome him. Just say, God, Holy Spirit, you're welcome right now, right here into this place. Come on, let's fix our eyes on him. Holy Ghost, you're welcome here in this place. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Lord. We don't want to move without touching you, Jesus. We don't want to move from this place without a touch from you. Come on, are you hungry for a word from him? Are you hungry for a touch from heaven? Say, Jesus, you're all I want. You're all I want, Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. you trying things that will satisfy you a whole 365 of trying things that never satisfied but Jesus is saying that in this moment you can have all that you need in his presence come on all you need is a touch from him all you need is a touch from the Holy Ghost this morning you can try you've tried it all year long and he's saying all you need is me you need is Jesus in this place. Nothing will do. Nothing will do. Nothing will do but him. Come on, eyes are being opened this morning. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, start speaking in tongues this morning. Eyes be opened this morning. Hearts be opened this
We don't want to talk about you like you're not in a room, God. This is not make-believe to us, God. We're not just fooling ourselves. This is not just a room full of people who are fools and thinking that they don't, we're just worshiping a, a false God. No, we're actually worshiping the living God, the one who rules and reigns in heaven, the one who created every single one of us, who knows everything, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. God, we worship you in this place, God. We worship you in this place because we know, God, that you listen. That you desire worship from us. That you want us to surrender our lives to you. To give it all to you. To give you the adoration, the glory, the honor. Because you are worthy of it. What you've done in our lives. You are worthy of the praise. You are worthy of the highest praise, God. You are worthy of the highest praise. In this place right now, just give to the Lord right now the highest praise. The highest praise. Think about what the Lord has done in your life and give Him the highest praise. Not some lukewarm stuff, but the highest praise. Saying, God, you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're so awesome how you saved me. How you took me from the Mari clay and you set me upon the rock. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Worship does not just end here. 
Worship does not just end here in just this moment, just these few minutes that we've been worshiping. You have to live a lifestyle of worship. We are called to worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness and the splendor of His majesty. We are called to worship the Lord. Come on, Metro Praise. Let's praise Him. Let's continue praising Him. Jesus, you are worthy, Lord. Worthy, Lord. Worthy, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for this time, God. Thank you for this time, God. We thank you. Have your way, God. Let the word come out today, God. Let people know who they are in Christ, God. It's not just some phony New Year's resolution that we give up a week later, God, but we know that we are made new, that we are new creatures, new creations in your eyes, God. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are awesome. Awesome Lord. Hallelujah. All right, you guys can make you can find your way back to your seats. During this time, I'm gonna dismiss the King's kids. You may follow um, Miss Amy. My name is uh is Ellie, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Metro Praise International. And it is my honor to declare the gospel to everybody here. We, we always share the gospel every single week because we want to make sure whoever comes in that they hear it. They hear the message of the cross. They hear what this is about, what church is about, what we do in this place. You're going to hear in a few moments our vision and our strategy. But this is where it starts, first of all. It's at the cross. I want to ask everyone here a question. The question is, have you been born again? Now, it's a rhetorical question that you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything like that. But have you been born again? When I say that statement, that question, you might be asking, what do you mean born again? Do you mean did I have to go back into my mother? Do I have to, you know, start over in life like that? No, I don't mean it that way. Have you been born again? The Bible says in John 3, 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Maybe you've heard before about heaven and you want to go there. You're thinking that's going to be super awesome. It's going to be like you're going to lay on the clouds. You're going to be eating like chicken all day. You know, whatever it is that you think like heavenly things are. That's not what heaven is about. And you can't go to heaven based off of, oh, I'm, I'm just a good person. So that's what got me there, you know. It's not that. Jesus said it right here in John 3, 3. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see heaven unless they are born again. So why do we have to be born again then? What's the point of that? Well, it shows that we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have made mistakes in our lives, every single one of us. Every single one of us has turned away from the Lord. This is what the Bible says. We have all together not sought God. Our throats are open graves, as the, the Bible says. So... If we are now away from God and we need to be born again, how do we do that? How do we get born again? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who allows us to become born again, to be able to see the kingdom of God, to be able to even see that, to have a relationship with the Lord. It's not some religious phony baloney stuff like I was saying a few moments ago. It's not that. It's actually a real relationship with God. 
How do we do that? Well, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we can have new life, so we can have our punishment. Now it's on the cross. But not everybody has received Jesus, has it? Not everybody has recognized Jesus. I'm going to go to a scripture verse right here. It's John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. And it reads, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So this is how you do it today. If you want to actually be born again, if you want to receive God, what you need to do is simply this. Believe in his name. Receive him. Don't reject him. Don't reject what God is trying to do in your life. When you hear, I got to get it right in my life, what does that mean? Does that mean just do the same thing again? No, right? It means repent. Receive Jesus. Believe in his name. And what happens is that you are given the right to become a child of God. You are given the right. It's not some, like I said, some phony baloney thing. It's not like now you become the natural descendant. Like, look, I'm now literally like Jesus' son now. It's not like that. It's not of a human decision or a husband's will. But you are born of God. You are spiritually renewed on the inside. The old has gone. The new has come. It's not some make-believe thing. I'm telling you. It's real. It's reality. It's inside. Do you want that? If you reject God, if you do not receive him, the Bible says that you are condemned. You stand condemned already. You might say, oh, I have to wait to go to hell to ex actually experience God's, you know, displeasure in my life. No, you stand condemned already. So in this place, have you been born again? And have you received the Lord? I'm going to ask that everybody stands up. And let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did on the cross. How you enabled us to be able to become children of, of God. I ask that those here who have maybe never even given you the, the time of day to even think about you in their life. I pray right now, God, that they would see this. That they would know that they can't be born again. They can't have a relationship unless they repent first and believe in your son, what he did on the cross. Let us come to the cross in this place, God, without pride or arrogance or, or, or any type of envy, whatever it may be, God. I just pray right now that we come to the cross and we recognize that we need you, Lord. Save those here who have not received you yet, who have not really have given it to you, God. I pray right now, God, in Jesus' name, amen. If you receive Christ right now, during that prayer or anything like that, or if you want to know more about God, I am going to implore you, insist on it, that you come and you talk to Pastor Leilani and Salvador over here after when we have our fellowship um, video a few moments from now. I'm telling you, just give it, just talk to them, you know, let them pray for you, let them encourage you, that's what they're there for. But right now we're going to go now to our confession of faith, we talk about, we do this every single week, our confession of faith, and we do it because this is our worldview, we like to declare it as a church together, it's not like some, you know, monotonous thing that we just say, like, I believe in one God, no, but I believe this, I believe in one God, I believe in all the things that we're going to say right now. 
I live by this. I will die for this. I teach this to the youth on Fridays. This is what it's all about. All right, so let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. All right, you guys are able to now hang out with one another. is feeling the love this morning. 
Lots of loves and hugs going around. Welcome back. Who had an awesome time for Christmas with their families? Our bellies are still stuffed. I think we probably gained around four or five pounds. But it's okay because our New Year's resolution is going to be to lose weight, right? So we're going to lose it all anyways. All right. Who's excited to be here this morning? Come on. Welcome, everybody, to Metro Praise International. We are so thankful that you joined us for service, especially those if it is your first time here, if you could just wave your hand in the air, we would love to welcome you. Let's give it up for our first time visitors this morning. If you did not receive a brochure at the door when you walked in, our ushers will get one to you right now. You can fill up the card at the bottom and then just tear it off and put it in the drop box. We would love to connect with you throughout the week. Again, thank you for joining us for service this morning. Our Sundays here are every sun our services here are every Sundays at 10 a.m. That is our main service. And then Elevate every Fridays at 7 p.m. That's when the teenagers get together, 11 to 18 years old. That's their service, and they're rocking it out for Jesus. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Let's say it together. Loving God, loving people. And those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus uh, told us to live by. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect mentor and send we want our desire is to have all of you guys go through those stages of our discipleship strategy so first we want to connect you to jesus connect you to the church through our life groups. somebody say life groups on the back of your handouts we have all of the life groups listed the kind of life group that it is the location the name of it age group requirements all that good stuff so find a place to belong especially if you're new or even if you've been coming around for a long time but you never plugged into a life group, this is your year to plug in to find a life group that works for you and your family. And so we want to give you just a snapshot of what's happening this week. And the adult Bible studies are rocking out the, the year. We're going to have two adult Bible studies. Both meet on Friday. One at the Govea's house. One at the Walker's house. 7 p.m., 18 years and up be there because that's where all the parties um, are happening. So you want to plug in. It's going to be a powerful time of getting into the word and fellowshipping with other people. And then Saturday we have our evangelism. All ages are welcome. You meet here at the church at 5 p.m. and we go out to the streets to tell people about Jesus and proclaim his truth. Amen. And I want to just do something special really quick right now. If you guys could all stand up to your feet with me as we close out the new year. I want you guys to give a round of applause for all of your life group leaders. Come on, give it up for them. We had an awesome, awesome year of life groups. They opened up their homes to you. They poured out their hearts. And we just want to say thank you to all the wonderful life groups. And you guys get to meet and love on them next week as we present the new quarter. Amen. You may be seated again. Awesome. And then we want to mentor you through our 101 book. First, we have leaders ready to take you through this. It's called Welcome to Your New Life. And you can go through this through your own pace. We want to teach you how to live for Jesus. And then we want to continue the mentorship process through our 201 class that meets every Sunday's Disciples That Make Disciples. And this is our leadership training class where we equip you to be a leader, a leader that makes disciples like how you were discipled. And then we want to send you out to reach your world for Jesus. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace and power, say amen. God is good. We had such an awesome celebration last Sunday. It's good to see you guys. How many of you guys are ready to go through our last lesson of the Disciples, disciples Giving Book? 
Come on, we are excited. We are in lesson 10 of section 4. And section 4, we've been going through the hindrances that keep us from being generous givers. And I just want to make a quick note that Griselda was the one that started off teaching this lesson back in the first service in January of 2014. So we have officially gone through the whole book of 52 lessons to be a generous giver. I pray that as we enter the 2015, you'll have some nuggets under your belt to continue to apply these so that you can be a generous giver in 2015, 2016 for the rest of your life. Because we're going to go through this book again, probably till Jesus comes back. This is going to be our tithe and offering lesson. So I just wanted to kind of bring that out there because it's been such a blessing to me personally and I know to many of you and as a church as a whole that we could go through the scriptures together every week and learn about what God teaches us about tithes and offerings and being generous. So let's turn um, to our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. That is the scripture that we're going to be reading, Matthew 6, 24. And again, we're on section 4, lesson 10. And the hindrance that we're going to be talking about today is overcoming idolatry. And the definition that we have for hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And if you have hindrances in your life, the number one thing you want to do is get rid of them. Because we don't want anything in our life keeping us from being completely obedient to Jesus. Let's read Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Three main points from that verse. Number one, cannot serve two masters. Jesus made it very clear that the number one competing idol with, true, with the true God was money. He taught that you couldn't have two masters because one will always be in charge of your life. Let's put Jesus number one. Let's not allow money to be our master. And the number one way for you to know if money is your master is if you cannot tithe faithfully to the Lord. You cannot be a generous uh, giver. And the tithe is something that a lot of people hold on to, and I've said it before, because they don't trust God. They're like, I can't give that up. I can't give that up because God's really not going to take care of me. And so what we're saying to, to the Lord and to ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, is that really money is our master. It's not really God. We have to check our hearts on that. Number two, love and hate. Serving God will cause you to hate the idol of money, and serving money will result in you hating God as your master. Most idolaters will not publicly admit they actually hate God, but their rebellious disobedience to his commands of generosity show their inner hatred. I don't think I have to add anything more to that. Number three, who is your master? If the idol of money is your master, then you will let it decide how you give to God. However, if God is truly your master, you will let him decide how you spend your money. Come on, let's have Jesus be the ruler and master of our life, our finances, everything, so that we could be generous givers, so that we could see the world one to Jesus. Stand up to your feet with me this morning as we summarize this last lesson of the year. Make God the master over your money and make your money obey God's commands. Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after tithes. Two, repent if you have allowed the idol of money to be your master by preventing you from obeying God's commands of giving. And number three, joyfully love God and make him the master of your entire life. 
How many of you guys ready to confess this this morning? On the count of three, one, two, three, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Come on, we are ready to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you again for all the faithful givers and tithers um, to MPI. We thank you so much. We have partnered together with you. We cannot do this without you. And I just want to remind you again, we believe that tithes is, is a 10% of your total income. Anything above that, we give towards offering. Currently, we are in a missions offering fundraiser. We have we almost um, raised all the $20,000. You'll get a report next week about all the monies that will be going towards the Philippines trip in 2015. Thank you again. Let's close out this year uh, faithfully to your pledges and uh, everything else. If you want to give to the building fund, uh, building offerings, you can when we're in a building offering. So if you could just write that clearly on your envelope, the amount you want to go toward tithe, the amount you want to go towards missions and building, and uh, write your name legibly, please, so we can credit that to your, to your name properly. Let's uh, recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this awesome close to this year. We thank you for your many blessings, your prosperity over our life, uh, jobs that you've provided for us, and those that are still looking. I just pray that you open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing upon them, that they will not have room to receive it. We thank you for all that you're doing in the city, around the world. Continue to use us to win the nations, to win souls for you, God, by the, by the obedience of our heart to just giving our tithe, being generous givers of offering. God, we give you everything that we have, and we say, God, let's use Use it for your glory. I just pray that you would be glorified and magnified through the offering today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. Come on, how many love Jesus? Can I get a woo woo? How many ready to end this new year with a party? Amen. I got a couple of good things I want to do right now as we get ready to finish out this year. First of all, I want to thank those who have traveled a long way to be with us for the holiday season. I want to start with Josh's friends, Luis. Is that your name? Let's give it up for Luis all the way from uh, Colorado. Yes. And then David and Monica Montes all the way from Georgia. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. And, uh, you know, if anyone else traveled a long way to be here, thank you guys. It's so awesome to have you here. We're going to be finishing out this uh, year with a series we started with towards the end of the year, November and December, Your Identity in Christ. But I want to let you know of a series that we're going to be starting next year, 2015, so you can get all hype and excited. We're going to be doing a series called Our Great God. Now, every year I like to take the first part of the year and talk about our vision, about the things that make our church special and get us all on the same page. Last, uh, well, 
just uh, the, the January of this year, we did a series on the vision, and I titled it what? Does anybody remember? Such a time as this. So we make it creative to always give you what we're about. What was it the year before that? Why MPI? Yeah, give it up whoever said that. Come on, you get a free candy. Oh, yes, Pastor Jared, you're the man. He actually preached one of the messages. So here it is, Our Great God, starting next Sunday for the first of the year, we're going to be going through these messages, Our Great City, Our Great Vision, Our Great Commission, and Our Great Goal. Amen? So I want you to come. I want you to, to get a part of what we're doing for this new year. And if you're new to the church, as many of you are, because this has been our fastest growing year ever, let's give it up for Jesus and all that he did. Amen? And we're going to talk all about that next week, about all the growth, the finances, and all that. And so if you want your giving to be counted on 2014, make sure you give it by Wednesday. And that's, of course, online as well. We take, uh, you know, Chase and online banking, whatever. But just got to be in by Wednesday, just a reminder. But God has done so much this year. A lot of you are new and you want to know more about us. Well, this is that time to do it. So make sure that you're there. Now, last week we had a great Christmas party. How many had fun at the Christmas party? The talent was magnificent, man. The man, the preaching was awesome. I thought she was the hottest preacher woman I've ever seen. Now y'all don't have to agree with that, but that's okay because that was my wife. She did awesome. So we got two videos we want to uh, have you watch today. One is a recap video, and this first one is a very special video because it was Ellie's first baptism. So. Um, you know, Berto, would you cut off the lights? You know, let's make it all move. Let's cut off both of these lights, too. I want you guys to witness this very special moment as our youth pastor, who actually preached to us today, uh, did his first baptism. Ellie, would you play that video? And don't sabotage it. And now in slow-mo. <laughs> Boom. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Allie. That was so awesome, Brother David, with the pity pat. That was the, yeah, the pat of pity. Now, this is the real one. This is the one that will bring a tear to your eye. Let's give it up for Rudy for making the video. Let's give it up, Rudy. You're awesome. Check out this video right here.
else was found. When you read verse 8, it says he was found, uh, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was suffering. Jesus came with a mission in this life, knowing that he would give up his life that we could have our life, that we could have life and life to the fullest. He didn't think about himself. He was thinking about us. And our relation in our relationships with other people, we need to think about them more than we think about ourselves. If we truly desire to have the attitude of Christ, this mindset of Christ, we need to be Christ-centered in our attitude towards the people that we are in relationship with. And when you think about this time, the Christmas season, even though there is a great spirit of giving during the holiday season here, if we're honest and we really look closely, there's a lot of selfishness, a lot of greed, a lot of uh, entitlement. And we need to change that through our attitude of how we interact with each other. We need to be selfless, not selfish. We need to learn by the example of Jesus. In order to be selfless like Jesus, like when Jesus came, we need to be full of love. Because it was love that sent Jesus to the cross. That's what made him selfless. It was pure love. So if we want to be selfless like Jesus, full of love and our attitudes towards each other, this is what it what this is what we have to do. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you patient? Are you kind in your relationships? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. He is the star of that show, right? He is the star of that show. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have the video everywhere right now. It's on our Facebook page, on our website, so you can check it out. Share it with your friends. Encourage them with the new life that God has given you and your your church family to encourage them to come and get saved and get baptized because we're going to do it again, amen, and again and again and again until we reach heaven. Look at your neighbor. Say, I ain't going to heaven alone. Say, I'm bringing you, my family, and the whole shy town with me, baby. (laughs) We got the notes online as well. We finished another year of our devotions, and if you haven't started with us, you can now. We're starting another year of devotions. Come out every day, either to your Facebook or to your email. Check it out on the website. So many good things to start this year with. Here's the ending sermon to the series that has been titled Your Identity in Christ. Today I want to talk to you about a new you for a new year. Can everybody say that with me? A new you for a new year. Thank you. I want you to see the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 has been the one we've been reading this whole time. It's our scripture text for what we can believe to have a new life for. Jesus gives it to us and he will not fail us. How many believe Jesus keeps his word? 
Amen. Look at this scripture. Paul writing on behalf of Jesus, he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So everybody say, old life, get out of here. Come on, say, take a hike. That's my best Chicago accent. I know it sounds more like a messed up New York accent, but get out of here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to tell that old life you're no longer coming with me to 2015. You're staying right here. I'm starting over with Jesus. And look at another translation of the Bible, just a little bit more contemporary to help us know what this really means. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new Life has begun. How many of you have been born again? Amen. So there's a new life. It began the day you were born again. That's when you start to live it. There are some of you that didn't believe that, and so hopefully this series has challenged you to put your faith in what God said. Salvation wasn't just uh, coming to church. It wasn't just doing some good things. Salvation was intended by the Bible to be transforming. That's why when I meet people and they say, hey, I tried that and it didn't work, I have to be honest and say, you didn't try Jesus. You might have tried Father Tom and his Holy Communion at St. Cletus or St. Cleopatra, or whatever, but you didn't try Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, he already went there. It's okay, I'll keep it tight and right. I'm telling you, you might have tried what Father Tom said and it didn't work. You might even tried what Pastor Joe said and it didn't work. But I can guarantee you, if you tried what Jesus said, it would work because he works every time. He works every time. There is not one person that can come to Jesus and not be transformed. It doesn't matter what your life is like. You can be tore up from the floor up, needing to check up from the neck up. But Jesus Christ will change you. Jesus Christ will transform you. That's why Jesus Christ works in jail cells. Jesus Christ works. His power is there at Belmont and Clark. And his power is there in the White House with corrupt politicians. And he's there for you and me. There's no person that cannot be changed by God. So it's either you came to him and he's rocked your life or you have not come to him. Be honest with yourself. There is a difference between religion and relationship. I could leave my wife right now, go away into the desert and set up a shrine for her, put pictures of her there, light candles for her there, but that doesn't mean that I know her and am communing with her. Are you listening? Just because I set up a shrine of Jesus, light a candle and do something like this, that does not mean Jesus is in my life. Do you know him? Does he know you and are you all like this? Do you hear his voice speak to you? He rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit so he could speak to you, so that he could be in your life. You don't just need to take my word for it. You can hear it directly from him. Are you in God like this? Amen. And to all my Catholic brothers and sisters, listen to me. My parents were raised Catholic. I learned this from them. So you want to talk about it being personal. It's personal to me as well. And they told me very honestly. They said, yes, that taught me morals. Yes, they taught me right from wrong. But they never taught me how to know Jesus. It wasn't until I got into the Bible and read that God wanted a relationship with me. And I thank God that I was raised in a Christian church that taught me this so I could know the difference between religion and relationship. Amen. And if the truth hurts, that's okay. It will make you feel better after a while, won't it? You know, man, I, I heard just about my friend the other day, me, me and Pastor Joe. Let's give it up for Pastor Joe Seldana right there and his beautiful family. 
You know, Pastor Joe and I were out. He, he's been coming with his family. He has a call of God on his life. But we were talking at the restaurant, and he was telling me about that pain you had, right? And you thought at first that it was okay. Maybe, maybe you ate something. You, you know, go to bed. But it got to be so bad you had to go to the hospital, right? And then the doctor told you you were sick. There was a problem there. Now, listen, he could have gone to that doctor, and that doctor could have said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Just take two Tums, and you'll be better. Just eat a li- drink a little bit of Sprite because, by the way, that's what my Greek family says is the cure for everything. My Greek family, I don't know if you ever saw my big fat Greek wedding, they love the uh, the, the Windex. My, my Greek family loves Sprite. You're sick, oh, take some Sprite. Oh, I just cut off my arm, whatever, take some Sprite, you'll be better, you know. Sprite fixes everything, okay. Uh, and, and you know what, that doctor could have lied to him, but the doctor had to tell him the truth. There's a problem. And we could go around saying, well, every religion is right. Every church teaches the truth. But that's not true. You'll still be sick. And you'll wonder why you're hurting on the inside. You'll wonder why. But you need to come to a good doctor. Amen? You need to come to a good church that's going to tell you the truth about how to get that fixed. You need your heart changed. You don't need more religion. You need more relationship with Jesus Christ, the living God. Amen? So that's what this series is about. Now, when you look at all the messages we've gone through, let's review them. Number one, we talked about knowing who you are in Christ. When you know who you are, you can do what God called you to do. Well, the first thing you have to know is if you haven't been born again, you're a sinner. Look at Romans 5.19 real quick. Look at Romans 5.19 because today sometimes people get offended if you call them sinners, you know. So you may say, it was funny because one time I went and preached in my hometown. My best friend came. He was like, you were the most offensive preacher I have ever heard. You offended the Catholics. You talked about homosexuality being a sin. You even talked about Oprah. You talked about everything. But you were also the most interesting pastor I've ever heard because I understood what you were talking about. I'm telling you, my best friend told me that. He said, you were the most offensive, but you were the most clearest guy I ever heard preach. Listen to me. It's okay if sometimes we say somebody else is wrong as long as we're being honest with our own wrongs. Are you listening? But I want to tell you, there's another popular myth in our, in our culture today that you're not a sinner. That popular myth is kind of believed in by the new age kind of cult of personality you see with the Oprah Winfrey's on TV. And, and, and by the way, I see all these videos on Facebook, and I thank God for their positivity. But it just seems like we want to listen to Tyrese Gibbons instead of listening to Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know who Tyrese Gibbons is, he's the guy that was an actor in Need for Speed. Anybody see that movie, Need for Speed? No, that's not Need for What's the movie? Fast and Furious. He's the African-American actor in there. And, and what will happen is he'll take his video, he'll make his little selfie, and his video and everybody else's video, it all sounds the same. It all sounds like this. And you'll see your friends on Facebook post it. And they'll be like, man, it's so deep, man, it touched me. And he'll be like, he'll be like listen, you got to believe in you because if you don't believe in you, nobody's going to believe in you. There's a lot of haters in the world. I had a lot of haters and haters, they just hate and they need to celebrate. But you believe in you because you're the best you that there is and there's never another you like you and you're just so awesome I just came to tell you believe in you and have a good day or there'll be like somebody in the car you know starting the day you know in the car they'll, they'll have like their thing they'll have their makeup on look all cool good morning guys I just want to check in with the 30 minutes video 30 second video just tell you you're awesome you're beautiful you're special there's nobody like how many know these kind of videos I'm talking about and some of you, this is, this is like what you need every day. It's like, it's like, oh, oh, give me my fix of how good I am. Oh, just tell me how beautiful I am. Oh, I'm so awesome. There's another not a me like me. And I, and I get it. We need to love ourselves. I mean, that's great. You don't want to hate yourself. But here's the thing, Tyrese. If you're not born again, you're going to bust hell wide open, sir. You'll be the best you in hell if you don't come to Jesus. 
You will be the best you burning in a lake of fire. And I know that sounds a little extreme, but it's the truth. Jesus didn't just come to make better yous. He didn't come to remodel. Anybody ever see those remodeling shows? Guy comes in, oh, oh my gosh, let's just change this. Let's just, okay, listen, we're going to put lavender here. We're going to open up the brick right here. We're going to tear this down, tear this down, tear this down. And then it's going to be magnificent. You ever see those remodeling shows? You know what I'm talking about. And, and it's like, that's, you think that's God? Like God's coming into your life. I just want to remodel you. You got a good foundation. Let's just paint you up. Let's just, let's just put polka dots over here. Let's just sprinkle some stuff on you. Jesus is not into renovation. He's into demolition. He, he's not here just to fix you up. He didn't just come to make okay people good people. He came to make dead sinners live as saints. He didn't, I'm going to say that again. He didn't come to make okay people good people. He came to make dead sinners live as holy saints. It's a miraculous transformation. When people sometimes hear my testimony, they say, that's so good for you. Look at you. Look what you did. You're so awesome. I didn't do nothing for me. All I did for me was condemn myself to hell. All I did was drugs and alcohol and party. It was Jesus that transformed me. It was Jesus. And it was the same Jesus that transformed my family and my parents. Because my dad didn't do drugs or any of those things. But he knew without Christ he was empty. And it was God that changed his life. See, look at this scripture. Look at what Paul said. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Everybody say sinners. Come on, that's a good word if you want to know the truth. We're all not okay. We're all not okay. Yes, God loves everybody, but we're all not okay. There are saved sinners who have become saints, and there are, there are lost sinners on their way to hell. That's the truth. That's the Bible truth. Can I hear an amen to that? For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So here's the question. Do you identify yourself with the first man, Adam, who sinned and messed it all up? Or do you identify yourself with the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who saved and redeemed us? Who do you identify yourself as? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. There's this anomaly that I see coming into church now. So, okay, who have we offended? Okay, the Roman Catholics, sinners, New Age people. Now let me offend some backslidden Christians. Please, let me do it. May I do that at the end of the year? Can I have some fun today? Can I preach like I've always wanted to preach? It's the end of the year, and I'm coming out right here. That's a sassy preacher. That's how I'm coming out, by the way, as a sassy preacher, if you didn't get that. Okay, anyways, so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Look at Paul talk to people who say they were Christians, who had an experience, but yet didn't live like it. It says, you are still worldly. Hold on, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting as mere humans? How many ever heard people say, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're all just human. What do you think would happen if you just ran over them at that moment with the car, and then you got out the car and go, nobody's perfect. We're all just human. Do you think they would be okay with that? Like say you ran over their legs. No, he's perfect. No, he's perfect. That's human. That's, I, mean, I just can't even tell you what I, the kind of face I want to make when they do that. You know? Could you imagine like we're making vows, my wife and I, to death do us part. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Nobody's perfect. We're just human. I'm only a guy. What can you expect? What can you, I'm only a guy. Every now and then I want to cheat on you. How many women would say I do after a guy said that? Nobody's perfect. But why do we make this excuse like it's something valid? Like it doesn't even work in human agreements. Like sign your mortgage contract. Nobody's perfect. I might lose my job and not pay you next week. Nobody's perfect. 
You know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm just telling you how it feels when I hear that. That's all I feel. And you just, you don't do that in real life. Do you, did you sign, do you sign your car payment, you know? Do you get a mortgage that way? Did you get married that way? Did you, I mean, I'm going for my doctorate at Trinity. I'm having to jump through all these hoops. I mean, it's like you have to be a doctor to become a doctor. It's amazing the amount of work. I had to take an IQ test just to get into this thing. And, and you think when I sign the papers, I can go, well, that way, perfect. I might slap the professor sometimes. I might do something dumb and just run naked through the school. And I was perfect. I mean, do you think they're going to go, sure, come be a doctor? You know, and I'm going to be a theological doctor. How much more so like your medical doctor as he's signing the Hippocratic Oath? You know, I'm going to be perfect. I might just replace their appendix with a piece of my car, you know. I might just put metal in them. I might make them RoboCop. Go for it. Like, how many would be okay, like, if your, your neurosurgeon goes, no, wait, perfect. I might just come in. You know, we just got this operating game for our kids. I might come in with the operating tweezers and just poke around in your brain. How many would be happy if your neurosurgeon did that? How many got the point right now? I'm going to move past the nobody's perfect thing. But this is the point that Paul is making. When you act like that, you're acting as if God's not in you. You're acting as if the power of the Holy Spirit hasn't transformed you. You're acting as if Christianity is just about you doing better now. Like, like you were not a Christian before. Now you raised your hand, signed on the line, I'm a Christian. And now you just do better. Like, you just try on your own. I'm going to try to do better. That is not Christianity. Christianity is you coming to God as a sinner, confessing that you need him, and him transforming you, pulling out the old you and putting in a new you. And then because of that, he empowers you and speaks to you and leads you in righteousness. Does anybody remember this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters that restore my soul. He leads me in paths of, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that means there's actually a relationship that I have with God. And he speaks to me, and he leads me. Amen? Let's go to another scripture. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31 says how we should be. We should be disciples of Jesus Christ, living as saints. So there's two types of people in the world, sinners and saints, those who have been born again and those who have not. Those who are saints are supposed to live as disciples, not worldly Christians. How many believe that? Now look what Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said. Somebody say, that's what he said. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If Jesus put that word in there, really my disciples, you think that because there, there can be some fake disciples? See, he's clarifying. He's saying, if y'all do this, you're really my disciple. Because there's some people out there that really are not my disciple. They're pretending. They play make-believe. They're called hypocrites. How many have ever seen hypocrites? How many are tired of hypocrisy in the church? Well, where does it start? Point to yourself. Right there. Right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, people come to me all the time. They say, well, I hate hypocrisy in the church. That's why I don't go anymore. I go, well, did you stop eating at McDonald's because there's fat people? No, because just because somebody abuses McDonald's doesn't mean you stop living there. Let me just tell you all something on Facebook about McDonald's. Leave McDonald's alone. Leave it alone. What has happened to our community? This is what a McNugget looks up under a microscope. What do you think you look like under a microscope? Let me take your big toe or something and put it under a microscope. Everything looks sick and disgusting under a microscope. Leave McDonald's alone. My goodness. Everything's this is McDonald's, this is McDonald's, you know. And then somebody was like one time with Aldi's, getting on Aldi's. Well, some of the meat's horse meat. And I'm like, man, that's probably why it tastes so good. 
I, now I know why I love all these. I mean, I am so serious. I, I live in a suburban neighborhood, and, and there's well-to-do families right next to us, and they came to us, and they said, my daughter will not eat anything except all these hot dogs now because they are the best. That's what she says. And now I have to go to all these. Like, she was disappointed, you know, because she was used to going to Joel, you know, like, bah, 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 here I come. So now she's like, you know, going to all these. How many are proud they go to all these? Come on. I roll up in all these like, bam, come on, give me my little box. I'm going to start putting stuff in the box. Don't need a cart. Put the box on my shoulder. You know how you do it. Drop it like it's hot right on the counter. Just like, boom. Count it up. Man, I love all these. And they were just like putting it. She was like, man, it's like the best food ever. And I'm like, yes. And then they come out like it's horse meat. I don't care if it's horse meat. That makes it good. How many believe that? How many of y'all would eat a horse if it tasted good? Amen. (laughs) Why are we clapping at that? Why are we clapping? I don't know. We clap because we would eat horse meat. I came to church for that. Look at this scripture. Back to the scripture. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do I set myself free? No, the truth sets me free. Do I make myself a disciple by self-effort? No, hard work is great. I mean, Christians should be the most hardest working people because the Bible says work as unto the Lord. But our morality, our lifestyle does not come from our own imagination. That's why when things like homosexuality got all popular in our culture, as much as I love the gay and lesbian community, they're my friends and I hang out with them and I've been involved in that community for many years since my days in New Orleans. Listen, we don't change truth with culture. We may change fashion with culture. Like how many of y'all happy you ain't wearing bell bottoms today, right? But how many notice what became nerdy with Urkel became hipster today? Everybody notice that? But that's cray-cray, right? But that's his fashion. So you change with fashion, but with principle, you remain firm. You stand on your principles, but you change with fashion. Sure, it's okay to watch a movie. Sure, it's okay to listen to music, do whatever. But you stand on the principles of the kind of music you listen to, the kind of movies you watch, the kind of hairdos you have, right? But homosexuality, the Bible said from the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve. These are the two that come together, procreate uh, procreate the human race. So that's how we look at sexuality. But guess what? It's not homosexuality that's brought down marriage. It's not destroying marriage. You know what's destroying marriage? People in America who call themselves Christians live together together and aren't even married that's what's messing up marriage and then the problem is is they then begin to have children and live like this and it becomes normal and we did a whole message on that that actually that's more devastating to your children and if you ever decide to get married you have a more high likely rate of divorce doing it that way than god's way those who live together get divorced faster when they get married than those who don't live together before they get married. Amen? That's a statistical fact. But look at this. Jesus said, if you, uh, you can look here, Jesus said that we become disciples by trusting in him. Worldly Christians trust in themselves. So ask yourself this question. Number one, am I a sinner or am I a saint? If I've been made a saint of God, and saint means holy one. It's not somebody who died. It's someone who's alive. Look quickly with me to Philippians 1 verse 1, just so I can show you that saints are people who are alive. You know, I used to come from New Orleans, and the saints are the ain'ts. They never win anything. Can can Chicago folks relate to that right now? You're going to bear down. It was like bear down and get a beat down. That's what happened, right? We were getting beat down all the time. Are we going to win any games coming up? Does anybody think we're going to win? No, (laughs) next season, okay, now we're moving on to the Cubs again, right? The Cubbies, they're going to get him. Okay, here we go. Look at this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's 
holy people. This is out of the NIV. Brother, bring that to the New King James just so they can see a translation that actually translates it saints. But the word saint simply means holy people. Out of the traditional versions of the Bible that you would read, it would say saint. The reason why we started translating it in modern times, holy people, is because we didn't want your mentality to be saint is someone who died and is not like you and I. No, a saint is a living person. And look at it here in a more classic English translation. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So we have a church. We have elders and deacons, bishops and deacons. Once again, bishop and elder, interchangeable words. Saints, holy people, interchangeable words. Bond servant, servant, same thing, interchangeable. Ask yourself this question. Am I a saint of Jesus Christ in Chicago working with the elders and deacons changing the world? That's what we're supposed to do. So saints aren't just people who died and who are different than us. Saints are holy people because God made them holy, and they're supposed to live holy on this earth. Can I hear an amen? Now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Look at your neighbor and say, this is just the review. Tell them the message is coming later. This is not even the message yet. This is all that catching up right now. I'm so excited. Anybody going to have to do some big party in this uh, New Year's? Anybody going downtown? Anybody having a house party at their house? Okay, my, here's my little, here's my pastoral message. Drink what? Responsibly. Everybody's, everybody was like, drink tequila. No, no, drink, drink responsibly, right? Don't be putting it on Facebook like, oh, this is my pastor said Jesus made wine. It's okay. And you all tipsy and passed out, got a bruise on your face because you hit the turlet as you went down to throw up. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're going to do it, do it right like Jesus. Be holy. Everybody say be holy. Okay, just got to say that because I don't want to be getting the bad rap around here, okay? Oh, anyways. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have purified. Everybody say purified. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Jesus says you will know the and the truth will set you free. The truth purifies you. The truth sets you free. What is the truth? That there are people sinners and they need to be born again to become saints. Saints are holy people of God. That's the truth. If you're not born again, you go to hell. You're born again, you go to heaven. That's the truth. You read the whole Bible. That's what it's going to say over and over and over again. So since you purified, he's talking to people who have done this, purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a, with a what? Pure heart, half of you, with a pure heart, everybody, thank you, having been what? Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. So how are we born again? We're born again by the Spirit and the Word of God. When the preaching came today, Pastor Ellie, we do it every service, he talked about the truth. He talked about Jesus came and died and was buried, rose again on the third day so sinners could be forgiven and be Christians or Christ-like and live a new life. That's called being born again. Amen? 
When he preached that truth, if you're here today and you hadn't believed that, if you started to believe that, you became born again. Now Christ is asking you to live your life in that truth, loving people as you want to be loved. If you have not believed that, you are still lost. You have not believed the truth. So how many people today believe the truth? Okay, now our job is to go and share it with others. Now, as we're Christians and we say that we're perfected in Christ, holy in Christ, do we get tempted and do we make mistakes? Yes. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 13. There's two places that temptation comes from. Everybody say two places. There's temptation that comes from yourself and temptation that comes from the devil. Sometimes you could be your worst enemy. Now, I'm going to explain to you how you can have temptation from yourself right here. Look at what it says, James chapter 1, verse 13. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? Look at the screen. If you're not, we're going to move right along. No one should say, when tempted, I am tempted by God. So does God tempt you? No. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, where do those desires come from? Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and see quickly where desires come from. And we may have to get out the chart. Are you guys ready for the chart today? Okay, we'll pull out the chart in closing of this uh, review because I do want to get to some new nuggets and bless you guys this year and really start it off together on an awesome foot. So go to Galatians chapter 5 quickly. He said that temptation does not come from God. It comes from our desires. Look at where desires come from for the Christian. Verse 24 those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its and desires. There you go. Let's just think about that. We have desires that come, and they're evil, but are they coming from our soul? No, they're coming from our flesh. Would you go to the new you, brother? the message, brother in the back? Let's give it up for Pastor Ellie. He's doing so much today. He preaches. He makes his own video. He made the video, by the way, because I said, because he's the only one that really knows how to do it. So I said, bro, you got to make the video of you falling down in the baptismal tank. Then I said, you got to make it slow-mo. And he made it so we can watch it. Let's give it up for Pastor Ellie again. Such a humble guy. And, and weren't we all laughing with him? We were laughing with him, not at him, right? No, not laughing at him. So go to the message, the new you. Is this it? Okay, now scroll down so that we can get to the chart here. So you can just see it. Uh, go on down. Is this today's message? No, no, I need uh, the new you. It's another message. Yeah, I need you to go find that with the chart. So as he's finding that, here's the deal. We're born again in our soul and spirit, the inner person, the soul and your spirit. Everybody say soul and spirit. This is the intangible part of you that we believe makes you you. You drive your body like a car. You live in your body like you live in a house, but your body will die, and yet you will live on. There is a you that is intangible. You are more than your hair, more than your eyes, more than your clothes, more than your body. You are a soul and a spirit. Does anybody believe that? We believe that. We're in church today, right? We believe that. So what happens when a Christian is born, when a person becomes a Christ-like person, that's what Christian means, and they're born again, the you on the inside, soul and spirit, is changed. But what remains the same? Your body, your hair, your eyes, your ears, your body remains the same. Now, your body has more than just flesh. On the outside, it also has organs on the inside. What is the central nervous organ of your body? What do we call that? The what? 
Come on, like three of you know what it is. Let's see if everybody can use their brain and hear what they're saying. Say it together. The central nervous system, the biggest organ of your body for the nervous system is what? Your brain. How many of you all have a brain? How many are happy you have a brain, right? Now let me ask you this. Is your brain you? Your brain is not you, just like your stomach is not you. Your stomach is a part of your intestines. Your brain is a part of your nervous system. Now watch. Your spirit and soul uses your brain and uses your body together to act out its life, to express itself. Before Christ, you are dark on the inside away from God. Your soul and spirit is not enabled to please God in what you're doing. You have to be born again, transformed on the inside. This is what it looks like. Now scroll down, please, so they can see the next one. When Jesus comes into you, this is what happens, transforms. The Holy Spirit lives in you. How many believe the Holy Spirit lives in you? Like it's literal. See, we don't see spiritual things, but before Jesus' time, they didn't even see air. They didn't know where air came from. So he used that as an example, and he said, look at the wind blow. You don't see it, but you hear it, and you see its effects. Now, we know with Doppler radar and things, we can see that one day we will see spiritual things. Sometimes you may see an angel and different things like that. Sometimes they make horror movies about demons and things like that. But the bottom line is in the physical body, the spiritual realm is not available to us. But we believe that it's there because we feel it like the wind. We experience it like air. That's the example Jesus gave. How many would, would use that same example? Like the Holy Spirit is like wind. You've, you've felt his presence. you felt him come into your life, okay? Well, what transformed was your mind, will, and emotions. But remember, your mind is not your brain. Your mind uses your brain. How do we know this according to the Bible? When your body dies and your brain dies, does the Bible say you no longer exist? Or does the Bible say you go somewhere else? When you go somewhere else, in the picture of heaven, we get in the Bible, are they able to talk up there? But they don't have a body. They don't have a brain. How do they talk up there? Because they still have a mind. The mind is different than the brain. The mind is a part of your soul. The brain is a part of your body. Are you guys tracking with me? So where does temptation come from? The flesh. It comes from your brain, the organs, and the five senses. When we talk about being irritable, how many people get irritable in the morning and you got to have coffee? How many are like that? How many get irritable if you don't eat anything? You're like that Snickers commercial. You get all upset. How many women get irritable? No, don't raise your hand now. But that's always been my long-standing examples. That time of the month, physical things change. How many men have noticed, let's talk about men, your testosterone level has gone down. And I'm not just talking about in that way. I'm just talking like you notice your energy is down a lot more. Right, men? Your metabolism goes, okay? That's all physical. That's all physical. How about this? Sexual desires. Where does that come from? Physical. They say that, you, that, that now that they're discovering pheromones, that there's a certain kind of a odor or a smell. It sounds sick, but how many have heard of pheromones, right? And your body reacts to it. And there's, there's, there's things that happen sometimes. Anybody ever heard of Viagra? And then there's men that can't even do certain sexual things because their body won't let them do it anymore. So what am I trying to say other than just make you guys think I'm a weird pastor? I'm just trying to tell you that anger, uh, hostility, uneasiness comes from your body. Comes from your body. As a Christian, go back to Galatians 5. Go back to Galatians 5, verse 25. How are we to consider our flesh? If you can skip ahead and know what the answer is, you can shout it out. Crucified with Christ. 
Okay, now go back to that scripture in James. If you all got this, I'm ready to move to the next series. How many are ready for January to come in a new series? Amen. But I just want to make sure everybody gets this, and I'm going to leave out with some good examples, okay? Going back to James chapter 1, verse 17, going on down there about temptation. It tells us where it comes from. Uh, or rather, you got it right there, 15. It says right here, look, go to verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Where do desires come from? Our flesh, brain, organs. Everybody with me? Can I just give you one more example about this? When you're born again, do you still have memories of the past, right? But you're a new person. You don't want those things, but you have those memories. How many wish you could just erase some memories from your past, some relationships, some hairdos, some bad, you know, come on, some bad breath, some outfits, right? Just erase it all. But you still have that. But is that you? That's not you. That is what you've experienced in your body. That's your hard drive. And sad but true, my grandmother experienced dementia. Does that mean that her soul was demented? No, it meant her brain was shutting down. When her body died, she went to a better place. Don't we believe that? If she knew Jesus, she went to heaven, and her mind was free from the trap of a sick body. That's why Jesus had to raise from the dead to show us that bodies could be redeemed. That happens when he comes back the second time. The first time you could think of he came to save us inwardly, the second time to save us outwardly. The first time is to be born again spiritually. The second time is to have a new body at the resurrection. So he represents total salvation. He represents the inner transformation and the raising from the dead. And that's when we talk about Armageddon. Things blow up and go really bad. But then what do we do? Do we become ethereal angels like ba- like, fats, like fat babies? You know what I'm talking about? Grandma, fat baby pictures in their bathroom and they got the little wings and they're, they're naked and they're children. And why does anybody think that's gross, right? You think I'm gross, but go to any grandma's bathroom. They got a little cupid, their little naked baby. Like, hey, I'm a little baby. But is that what heaven's going to be like? Are we going to be like naked little babies flying around? No. We're going to be like how Adam and Eve were. Did Adam and Eve have a body? Yes, but it was a perfect body, matching their perfect soul with the perfect relationship with God. Okay? Everybody with me? So where does it come from? Our desires are in our own desires and enticed. But look at what it says. Then when the desires conceive, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full of grown brings forth what? Death. So can Christians sin? Yes. After we've been born again, transformed on the inside, we can sin. We shouldn't, though, but we can. What do we do if we sin? Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. How many are working their word right now? Come on. This is what we came to church for, right? We're going to work it and twerk it. Amen. Here it is. Twerk in the word. If you don't know what that is, look up online. We did a whole ser- uh, I mean, a whole blog on Metro Praise Saints. It's pure. It's holy. I felt so bad the other time because I put it up online. Like, we working and twerking at Metro Praise. And then, like, one of these young people that I taught in Bible college, like, he messages me privately. He's like, Professor, I don't know if you know this, but twerking is really, like, a bad thing. It has, like, sexual connotations. You probably want to change that on your Facebook status. And I was like, Listen here, my unaware friend. No, I'm kidding. That's what I wanted to say. Listen here, you Metro Praise outsider. You don't understand. We have taken the word twerk and we have redeemed it for God's glory. Now twerk means what we say it means. It's like Miley Cyrus, take back that word. It's ours. And by the way, I have been twerking longer than Miley Cyrus because this, this started back in Nolens for me, baby, when I was down south and everybody's twerking all the time and I had to keep their attention. But for you, it just makes you giggle. You're like, hmm, he said twerk. But back then, it was like, work it, twerk it, work it, twerk it, and people get excited. 
I'm in an excited mood right now. Okay, back to the Bible. You can never go wrong with the Bible. Here it is, chapter 2, verse 1, my little children. That's how we're supposed to speak as pastors. My little children, Vito, these things I write to you. Here's John, the beloved disciple. I write to you so that you may not sin. Is sinning supposed to be a part of the Christian's life? Is it supposed to be a normal part? Do they make excuses and say, no way, perfect. No, we're supposed to understand who God has made us to be and crucify the flesh. Don't let the body control us, just like we should let appetites control us. Don't let temptation control us, right? But the Bible says if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And this is where I said, see, I don't need Father Tom and him and I to go into a dark closet and for me to confess all my secrets to him. I might thought that was weird to begin with, right? I don't need that. Who's my advocate with the Father? Jesus Christ, I don't need his mother, his brother, his redheaded stepchild friend, whatever childhood friend he has. I just need who? Jesus. How do we say his name in Spanish? Jesus. That's who I need. And he himself is the propitiation or payment, big word there, propitiation means payment, for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. So what is the difference between when a Christian sins and when a non-Christian sins? The non-Christian gets no forgiveness. They don't have a covenant relationship with God. They will be judged by those sins and sentenced to hell. If the Christian sins and truly repents and comes to Christ, they still remain in that place with Jesus. When my son makes a mistake, do I kick him out the house? Like right now, he kind of wets his bed right now, Lucas. Everybody go, oh. Two-year-old Lucas wets his bed. We take off the sheets now so we don't have to keep cleaning. Or rather, so Nancy doesn't have to keep cleaning them. You know, and, and, and he was doing good, but now he's, you know, he pees on himself, right? And it's just like, Vito, you know, you just hug him and you love him. But here's the deal. Do I kick him out of my house? Does he, do I say, you're no longer a white rustic? There will be no bed wedding white rustics around here. And then he gets scared and then he wets himself again. No, no. Do, do I terrorize my son like that? No. If you don't know the answer, it's no. I don't terrorize my son. So if a Christian sins, is God wanting to send them to hell? Is God wanting to bring hell fire down on them? No, but he wants them genuinely to know who they are, know what he did in their life, and to now learn the truth, be set free from spiritual bedwetting, and live holy. Because honestly, that's how I look at some of you guys, right? Because you'll be like, Pastor, we're still living together, but we're not married Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. And I literally feel like I'm looking at you like that. I really do. I really do. My little children. That's, I literally think that. Because I remember one time I wasn't a parent then, and my friend, we were, I was youth pastor, and he was the associate, and his daughter came from preschool because they had it downstairs in the, in the church, and she came up with the teacher, and the teacher said, you guys got to change her because she wet herself. And everybody could just, I could look at her in the office, and it was just wet right here. I just felt so bad. That's how I feel when you live in sin. I do. I look at you. You just wet yourself. You know, when you're cursing, you're living like, I, I mean, that's how I look at you as a pastor. Now, I'm not saying I haven't made my mistakes and wet myself, too. But here's the thing. I've been getting potty trained. How many are happy you have a pastor that's potty trained? Okay. Because, really, what's good for you should be good for me, right? So if y'all still wetting yourself, why don't I just wet myself a little bit? Uh, where was I last night? Well, I was out gambling, you heard. I was out, out and I, once I go there, I go southern, okay? I was gambling, you heard. I was, I was making it rain with the women on the pole. 
making it rain, but nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Here I am. I'm forgiven. Now, if I did that, would y'all look at me like I wet myself? You better. Pastor wet himself? Now, how many think it's okay for children to wet themselves? How many think it would not be okay if your neighbor wet themselves? Like if right now your, 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 your seat got wet, would you be a little bit un- upset about that? I'll never forget this. Now, if you do this and you have a sickness, it's okay. Nobody should hate on you, right? This, you know, if you have a sickness. Because I didn't know this about my friend. We were in Kentucky. We were doing broski stuff, sharing a bed together like broskies do. And I woke up in the morning to a wet bed, a wet bed that smelled like urine. And I'm talking like we were gangsters. I'm talking we were white suburban gangsters. And we were in Kentucky. We drove his drop-top F10 there with the rims on and everything. And uh, my bed smelled like urine. And I looked at him. And he had that look on his face. Like, don't tell nobody, bro. Don't tell nobody. I got stomach problems. And I go, I ain't going to tell nobody. How am I going to look good in this situation? Like, oh, yeah, Derek wets his bed. Derek wets his bed. How do you know? Oh, man. I was sleeping with him when he wet his bed. That's how I know. No, I'm like, man, we are all keeping this a secret. There ain't no Facebook. This is not going up there. There ain't no little mime coming out of this. Okay, this is none of my business. But seriously, if you got a problem, you know, if you're sick, but does Jesus make us as sick children? No, he makes us as healthy, spiritual, revitalized children, people that can live holy. And so if we do bed wet, we do sin, we can be forgiven for the sake of not doing it again, not to keep doing it. Can I get an amen? Let me give you three examples from the whole sermon series, tying it up today in closing. Rachel, would you come, please? Here is the message. Everybody say the message. Okay, the message will be shorter than the introduction. I gave you three examples of this sermon series, and I want to remind you of them. Number one, the tightrope walker, pure water, and then number three, flying in a 747. Let me give this to you quickly. Think about the Christian life walking on a tightrope. You're not able to get to the top unless you have a ladder. The means that we start the journey is salvation. It's like our ladder. We're not continually climbing up to be saved. It's just instantaneous. We go from the ground, nobody's walking a tightrope down there, to asking Jesus in our heart, now we're at the tightrope. This is the Christian life, okay? Now as we see the tightrope, the life of holiness, the commands that God wants us to to keep, we get intimidated. This is a tightrope. I don't think I can do this. But God then gives us the balancing rod. I don't know if you saw the video of the guy from Chicago, uh, came to Chicago and he walked across our buildings. He had a balancing rod. That's the word of God. The word of God balances you and teaches you how to step out there and do it. You then say, I don't have practice. I'm not good at this. I'm new to this. I don't understand any of this. The Holy Spirit is there to train you and to guide you and to speak to you every day. And so you step to walk out on it because you get scared. You look down. But there's a net there, and that net is the grace of God. Should you fall on the path of holiness, God is there to keep you, not to condemn you, not to send you to the back of the bus and say you're not worth it anymore. The people at the front are better. No, he says, you belong right here. You belong at the front of the bus. You're my precious child. He never loses favor for you. And God is not a racist or a, or a specious or anything like that. He treats us all the same. and He gives us all the same opportunity. But the grace of God is not meant to be a trampoline that we keep jumping into to keep sinning. 
The Bible says if we do sin, we repent. We realize where we messed up with the word of God, and we ask the Holy Spirit to train us again to do what he called us to do. Why? Because that's what he made us for. He made us to do that. That's the first example. How many believe you can walk a tightrope with Jesus? How many believe you can keep the commands if the word of God helps you and the spirit of God leads you and he empowers you? How many believe you can do that? I never thought I could love my enemies. That was my biggest thing. I know I talk about my past a lot, but seriously, drugs and all that was easy. It was loving my enemies. That was the hardest. Forgiving people. Man, you don't forgive those kind of people. Like, I'll forgive, like, my mom or this, but I won't forgive this guy. I mean, it's like, these people are terrible people. Why should I forgive them? You know, I had a friend leave me one time, you know, and get me arrested, and it was all of his fault. And I hated this guy. And I ended up getting on probation, ended up doing more time. And it's like, I had a deep hatred for this guy. It's like, why should I forgive him? He's a criminal. He was terrible to me, you know. But Jesus changed my heart, and he taught me how to forgive. He taught me how to walk it out. He'll teach you how to do. You know how he showed me? Through a parable of the Bible, which shows a person a big debt, like a million dollars getting forgiven, but then he beats up his friend who owes him $5, and God says, that's what it's like when you don't forgive people. I forgave you of a million-dollar debt because I know all of your junk, and I forgave you, and this person sinned $5 worth against you, and you can't forgive them. Now, even though that $5 may be serious stuff, we have people who have been abused by their uh, family members, whatever, sexual abuse, and I get that. But still in comparison to God knowing everything about you, it's small in comparison. Because you and I, before we were Christians, we probably sinned four or five times a day. Some of us sinned four or five times an hour. You rack that up. That's like 10 million sins we were going to judgment day with. You get what I'm saying? The next example is the pure water. Think of it like this. If you went to a sewage plant right now, by the way, do you know, we have a plumber here that can confirm this. Do you know that the water you flush down your toilet takes a long journey to come right back to your faucet? Did you know that? It does. If you don't believe me, look at where water comes from because I had to do this in school. I'll just tell you now because you think it's crazy. So the water gets flushed down, and it goes into the sewage place. And what the sewage place does is it filters out all the junk and the stuff that is in chunks that cannot be broken down. But water gets taken out of that. So water just will keep flowing through the meshes and through the, through the thing. Then when it gets there, it goes out back into the Lake of Michigan. They'll put that water back out. But it's not like hazardous. It's not Ebola, which we keep getting. And maybe that might be why sometimes. But anyways, it will go back out. Then when it goes back out, it gets, it gets processed in normal water. And then... We suck it back in through Lake Michigan, and then that water gets purified, and boom, it comes. And if they do it right, you'll never run out of water for your entire life. Water never goes away, by the way. You have as much water on the planet now as we always have. Water doesn't go away. What happens is water changes positions. You know, sometimes a place will have a drought, but there's always the same amount of water. Check it if you don't believe me. My point is, sometimes we think about ourselves as this dirty, filthy water that's in that sewage plant, and now that water is going to take that process of cleansing to be pure drinking water, and that's going to be the rest of our lives. I've come to Jesus, and I'm now in his water purification plant, and every day he just gets a little bit more of the doo-doo out of me, and I get a little bit more pure, a little bit more of the doo-doo out, a little bit more pure, and one day after 50 years in Jesus' water plant, I'll be an old person in a nursing home, and I'll be pure, and I'll be holy, and then, boop, I'll die and go to heaven. That's how some people think Christianity is. It's this one endless cycle of God just transforming you and transforming. That's not how God does it. 
The water that God does in your life, it's the miracle process of today it was dirty after the altar call, it is clean. Today it was dirty after your prayer of faith in Christ. It is clean. When Peter confessed Christ, he became clean at that moment. When I confessed Christ, November 5th, 1995, I became clean at that moment. Now the Christian walk is guarding my pure heart, guarding my pure water bottle that God has given me. So when I sin, it's like now putting something dirty into something clean, and I feel convicted now because I can taste it, and my life don't taste right. My attitude to my wife, it's not right, and that's called conviction, and God will convict me to come to his presence to be forgiven so I can be purified. So the normal state of a Christian is pure water. God wants your heart always to be pure. Have you ever had a pebble in your shoe? It threw off your day until you got it out, right? Because you like walking without pebbles. Sin should always be like that pebble in the shoe, that little bit of nasty taste in the water that you dump out to purify again because it's never who you want to be. You want to be pure. Can I hear an amen? The last example I want to give you to tie this together is a 747. How many have ever been on a 747? They fit about 500 passengers. They go 35,000 feet up in the air, fly 550 miles an hour. You can go from here to uh, London in about eight hours. I've been on 15-hour flights in these things. Some of them have double-deckers. If I said to you right now, fly 35,000 feet up in the air on your own and soar at 600 miles an hour, could you do it? Some people think that's what the commands of God are, something they could never do. And then they look at somebody like a Michael Jordan who jumps a little bit higher than them, and they think that's the best all humanity can do. So they look at a Michael, uh, a, a Pope and go, you know what, I can't do it, but maybe the Pope does it a little better than me, or maybe Mother Teresa does it a little better than me. And they think that what God is asking is actually too much. And so they go through life thinking, nobody can do that. Nobody can do it. Nobody can really always forgive. No one can really live that kind of life. No one, no one can do it. The best we have is a little hop like a Michael Jordan. The best we have is the Pope. The best we have is Gandhi. That's not Christianity. You know what Christianity is? Jesus pulling up in the 747 saying, come on in my ride. Let my effort, let my work, let my provision, let my righteousness, let my holiness take you where you could never take yourself. Let me help you soar on the wings of eagles. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And with God on your side, nothing is impossible. So that salvation is getting in Jesus' 747. I'm not righteous because I did right things. I became righteous because he did right things, and now I can fly with Jesus. Amen? In closing, you know why this matters? Put that up for us, please. You know why this matters at the end of the year and why I preach this? Because if you will believe who God said you are and believe that you can do what God said you can do, your life will never be the same again. You won't be hanging with turkeys. You'll be flying with eagles. Amen. Everybody say this with me. I am who God said I am. I can do what God said I can do. When you believe this and you hold on to it and you look at the word of God, you can live a blameless life like Enoch. You can be faithful like Noah. You can be blessed like Abraham. You can watch your dreams come true like Joseph. You can raise your children like Hannah. Defeat giants like David. Have wisdom like Solomon. Call down fire like Elijah. Win a nation like Jonah. Fight injustice like Isaiah. Persevere, persevere through suffering like Daniel. Stand against sin like John the Baptist. 
Baptist, live like Jesus, hallelujah. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. You can preach like Peter, confront false religion like Stephen, give generously like Barnabas, lead like Phoebe, love like John, serve like Timothy, and finish your race like Paul. If you believe it, let's stand up and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on, if you believe it, shout hallelujah. We believe it. Altar workers and band, would you come in closing? You see, if you believe what the Bible says, you can do what the Bible says you can do. Those people that we read about were just like us. But they saw who God said they were. Moses, rather, said, I st- 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 stutter, God. I, I, I can't, can't, can't lead, lead, lead these people. God said, I'll give you the words to speak. Gideon said, oh, but God, I'm just, I'm just the least of my tribe. I'm so small. I'm so weak. I can't even go to the gym and lift weights like Ricky Rivera. I'm not good like Ulysses. And God said to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. He chooses ordinary people to do super ordinary things. He said to Mary, you're just a girl, but you're going to give birth to the Son of God. He didn't send down an angel to give birth to Jesus. He gave it to a little girl, 15 years old, a teenager that he trusted. David was a young boy, but he saw a giant, and beyond the giant, he saw his God. See, sometimes all we see is the giants of our life. We don't see the God that's bigger than the giant. But David could see the giant was not as big as his God, and he took him out. Hannah raised her children to be prophets and leaders unto God. Phoebe, the woman I talked about, she was a great leader in the church. You can do this with Christ. Can you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? I want to pray this over you today. Three prayers before we roll out this year. Three prayers. The first one is, if you don't know Jesus, will you be born again today? I just want to ask you to do that even as I'm talking. It's simple. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. Right now, if you don't know Jesus, get to know him. Right now, you can. He wants to come into your life. He wants to make it real. Number two, if you're here today and you say, yes, I've been born again. I've even been baptized. I love Jesus. But you've been living as a worldly Christian. You're not really doing what you say you believe. You're not really knowing the truth. You're pretending. And you're giving us a bad name. And God wants you to stop doing that because it makes it look dumb, you know. It's like, oh, I'm a Christian. But, yeah, you don't look like one. You don't act like, well, I'm a Christian. Come on, man. God's got something more for you than that. You might say, well, I make mistakes. You know, here's the thing. You know what the difference is between a hypocrite and a normal Christian is the Christian admits their mistakes. Yeah, I made that mistake, but I'm moving on. The hypocrite tries to pretend that they don't have them, and then they play make-believe with their family and friends. Come on, get out of that. Just If that's you, just say, Lord, let me live holy like you. Make me pure. Change my attitude. Change my ways. And ask him to show you three ways right now that he wants to change before you walk out of here. And then lastly, number three, if you're here today and you would say, man, I believe this. I don't think I'm acting like a hypocrite. I really believe I'm, I'm living for God. I'm walking that tightrope. Right now, would you just pray that God will use you to fulfill the purpose he has for you? Because it's not so that he can just make you like a trophy and set you up on a shelf. And we all just look at you and go, oh, there's the perfect Christian. There they are. They're so perfect. No, God wants to use you in this world of hurting people. God wants you to use you to reach out, not with judgment, but with kindness, friendships. Pray that God uses you. Three people. 
Let's all pray in closing. If you need to get born again, pray right now. If you're a worldly Christian, pray and get the junk out. Or if today you're living right as a saint of God, as a disciple, ask God to use you as the band plays and we'll dismiss in 30 seconds. Thank you for your patience. Pray right now. Come on, band, lead us in a song as we pray. Jesus, speak to hearts right now. Speak to hearts, God. You know who you are today. Examine your life and be 